Hello and welcome to the Dynasty Baseball Pickups Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Corso, and joined by co-host Kyle Sontag. How's it going, Kyle? I'm doing well today, man. How are you doing? First of all, I'd like to say happy birthday. You know, hopefully you're having a good weekend here. Yeah, yeah. It's been a great weekend and more festivities today. It's a uh... It's my 40th, so it's a big one, but uh feeling feeling a little older than I usually do, but uh <laughs> excited to uh hang out with some friends and good eats and good drinks and uh, have a good time. But first we have to get through a podcast. So uh today we're is all about catchers. So we're going to be covering uh ADP from our uh startup drafts, the two that we have covered on the podcast, as well as two others that we were not personally involved in, uh, but some of our lead mates were involved in. So we have ADP for four different uh, startup drafts here. We wanted to go through uh, position by position, starting with catcher, and kind of cover um, you know who we like at different values, our strategies regarding catcher in a startup draft versus in redraft versus you know for trading for a catcher. Uh, but first, before we get into catchers, there was a big trade this week uh, between the Baltimore Orioles and Milwaukee Brewers. And it was kind of a divisive trade. And so I think it's worth us kind of digging into and talking about a little bit. So Kyle, um, tell me a little bit about your reaction when you initially saw the Corbin Birds trade, which just to summarize was uh, Joey Ortiz and DL Hall coming from the, oh, and a, a compensation pick coming, um, you know, from the Baltimore Orioles to the Brewers in exchange for one year of Corbin Burns. Yeah, so I think there's there's three things that really stand out to me personally about this deal. One, I think, is the the big thing that's on everyone's mind is even for one year, this feels light for Corbin Burns. Um, I I find it hard to imagine that if they had shopped a little more, they couldn't have gotten more from another team out there somewhere. That being said, I do think it makes DL Hall and Joey Ortiz a little more interesting for fantasy because there's a lot more opportunity for both of them in Milwaukee than there was in Baltimore. And lastly, that pick is I think a really underrated piece of this deal. In my opinion, that is the centerpiece of the return that Milwaukee got because that is the type of pick that could turn into a very high end player in the compensation round a, it was what 34th overall something like that um yeah i was in the 30s yeah yeah but you you look at you know what seattle did this past year with their compensation pick and it allowed them to draft all of uh colt emerson ty pete and johnny farmello very early in this year's class and a lot of people really liked their draft because of it yeah i think I, I was actually thinking it was, you know, a lot of people like yourself, you know, thought that it was a, a light return. Um, looking at it personally, I thought it was a pretty good return. You know, the the value of one year rentals is has not been very high. I mean, look at what Juan Soto got in return this year, um, you know, in the trade with with the Yankees. I mean, yeah, there was, um, you know, Michael King, but like, is Michael King really that awesome? There There's injury concerns. There's no... Um, you know, there's no guarantee he sticks as a starter. And then you have kind of some some back-end depth, you know, starting pitchers. So it's like the return for these rentals is not very high. And I get Corbin Burns is arguably the best starting pitcher, particularly now that he's in Baltimore. You, know, you can make the case that he's the the best starting pitcher in 2024. But 
I was never really expecting them to get, you know, a top end prospect or or something super eye opening for just one year. And I think when you think about Joey Ortiz and DL Hall, I mean, this could potentially end up being a steal for the Brewers because both of these guys have six years of control. You know, Joey Ortiz is not, you know, he's known kind of as more of a, a defensive wizard, but the truth is in the last couple of years, he's made some major swing changes and it's probably an, a, at least an average hitter at the big league level. So if you pair an average hitter with stellar defense at shortstop, which is I think ultimately where he's going to end up playing, um, particularly if they, if, and when they move Adamas, like that's really valuable to have for six years of just a everyday, really solid shortstop. And then DL Hall, there is sky high upside there. Yes. He's got major, major control issues. You know, he could end up just being a reliever, but even if he does, you know, in Milwaukee, they can turn relievers into really, really valuable weapons at the back end of their bullpen. And DL Hall could definitely be that. I think they'll give him a chance at the rotation first. I think he could end up, you know, if they can help solve his control issues and, and, you know, Milwaukee has a really good track record with pitching you know, he could end up being a starter that slots into the kind of the higher end of the rotation there gets a lot of strikeouts, you know, maybe not the greatest whip um, or, you know, potentially maybe some ERA issues, but could again, be extremely valuable. And this is for one year of yes, one of the best pitchers, but just one player and they're getting uh, essentially 12 years of control of these other guys. In addition to the comp pick you mentioned. So I think it's a fair trade. I think people were maybe expecting a little bit too much and not recognizing, um, the value of rentals has just really, really dropped in the last few years. I think the big thing you mentioned is the word upside. There's plenty of upside in that return to be more than enough. But I also think there's such a low floor that it could look really, really bad as well. I guess I was just expecting something a little bit safer, maybe, because you're right that the upside is there, that this could be an awesome value for them, but it could also go terribly wrong. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that with, with Hall. You know, he's had injury issues. He's had control issues. So there, there is definitely a uh, a decent chance that, you know, he flames out or whatever. But I think Ortiz has a really high floor. And I think, you know, kind of mixing that risk versus, you know, the ceiling of Hall versus the floor with Ortiz um, kind of covers them a little bit because I, I don't see Ortiz not being able to hit at the big league level. I, I think he will, um, you know, he might not be anything more than, like I said, like an average hitter, but the defense will play um, and, you know, he's going to be, you know, I, I just don't see a world in which he's not like a useful, um, a useful player. So. Yeah. And I, I, I get that for sure with the, the floor of, Ortiz but with Milwaukee and the way that they develop pitching and the pitching that's already in their system I was surprised to not see a name like a Norby or even a maybe a Kierstad on their way to Milwaukee where there's just a little bit more safety than DL Hall I don't think the Brewers needed to bring in such a high risk arm when they already have plenty of high risk, high upside arms in their system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's fair. Um, you know, there's, <laughs> there's definitely some similarities between uh, Hall and, and Mizorowski for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I do like the fact that, you know, the Brewers, they, they signed trio to the extension. They just signed Hoskins. It, it seems like they want to compete while also doing the Brewers thing and getting value for their expiring uh, contracts. So 
you know, I, I do think Ortiz ends up at shortstop. I do think Adamas gets moved. Uh, you know, there is a world in which Devin Williams gets moved and then eventually, you know, maybe Hall becomes the uh, Devin Williams replacement. Although, you know, Brewers have some pretty good weapons at the back end of their bullpen already. So I think this is a measure by them to to get big, big league ready talent. You know, obviously, yes, they could have gotten a Cowser, but they are filling some holes and, um, you know, setting up for the future. And, you know, we'll see how it all all plays out. But again, I, I don't think this was a, a, you know, steal by the Brewers. I think they, they could have probably gotten, you know, maybe a little bit more, but it seems like teams just weren't willing to meet that asking price. And if they would have hung hung on to Burns to the deadline, I don't think they would have gotten any more than they got in this. And then, you know, you have the injury risk on top of that. So, all right. Well, that's our recap of the, uh, <laughs> the Burns trade. I, I think that's kind of good that we have two different points of view on this because I, I feel like that's everything I've seen in reaction to this trade is people saying, yeah, this is about right. Or people saying, you know, this is kind of a steal for, for the Orioles. So um, one thing I will say yeah. with that is I do think it's telling that we don't have a third party that thinks, you know, the brewers came away like bandits. It's yeah. either it was okay or it's not very good for them. I, I think that's a little telling as well, as far as the return they got. Well, I think, you know, that's kind of situational because the fact of the matter is Orioles are so stacked that they could lose both of these guys and it doesn't hurt them. So in no way, do the Orioles really lose this trade because they just didn't need either one of these players. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah, and I, I think that, that's a very right. unique to that team. Like these, these same players on a different team could be very costly to that team, but it just so happens that the Orioles just have a really, really stacked prospect pool, especially in the infield. And Ortiz was a replaceable part. And then for DL Hall, you know, we'll see what he ends up developing into. That one might come back to hurt the Orioles a little bit, but they have enough pieces that what they're gaining in and what they really needed was a, a top of the rotation arm. Um, and especially in that ballpark. I mean, the great thing about this trade for fantasy is it just builds everyone's value. Every single player in this trade, their value goes up. So just situationally, yeah, there's there's no way the Orioles can really look at this and say, oh, this is a loss, even if, you know, something were to happen and birds gets hurt or whatever. Like they're not necessarily going to quote unquote lose this trade, but definitely is a lot fairer. I think than a lot of people initially, um, you know, reacted to it, but that's enough about the Burns trade. Let's get into catchers. So uh, we, like I mentioned, we have ADP for the four different uh, startup drafts. Uh, I'm not going to go into each individual format of each of these drafts. I'm just going to say, I believe three of them are categories and one is points. Um, and then, you know, just kind of keep that in mind that these are different leagues. So there might be some variance in ADP, which we'll kind of cover as we go through, but we have them lumped into different tiers based on, um, what range of pick they went in. So for example, we have, you know, 200 to 300 being its own, uh, sort of tier here. So we're going to go through those one by one, but the top tier is really only two players, uh, that was picked, you know, before pick 100, uh, on average in these drafts. And that was Adley Rushman and Will Smith. So rather than focus too much on those two particular players, we're going to lump them in with the next group, which was drafted, uh, between pick 100 and pick 200. So I'm just going to go through them all now, and then we'll kind of discuss, uh, our feelings on these catchers and where they're going. So, uh, starting with Adley, he, uh, went overall at, uh, pick 31, um, Lowest pick was 26 and highest was 39. So only a difference of 13 uh, between those picks. So 
Um, really kind of in those 20s or 30s is, is where Adley's going. Uh, we'll kind of touch on him in a minute. Will Smith is the next catcher off the board at an ADP of 73. Uh, then William Contreras at 108. Francisco Alvarez at 134. Yonar Diaz at 159. Henry Davis at 184. And JT Real Mudo at 185. So Kyle, looking at these seven catchers, which are the first seven to come off the board all before pick 200, what are your thoughts? Well, the the first thing, one, is, you know, as we've talked about, even though Adley is the, you know, number one catcher for Dynasty, I don't think anyone's going to dispute that. I don't think either of us are going to disagree with the sentiment that there's no need to target him in the you know third fourth round of your startup draft when Will Smith is going 40 rounds later or sorry 40 picks later and William Contreras is going 70 picks later I want to read you a few stats comparing Adley and William Contreras here because I think it's really really telling of where the value is at the position so batting average, 277 for Adley, 289 for Contreras. Edge goes to Contreras. OBP, 374 for Adley, 367 for Contreras. Edge to Adley. But then it's 435 slug for Adley, 457 for Contreras. That's Contreras again. 809 OPS for Adley, 825 Contreras again. 20 home runs for Adley, 17 to Contreras Stolen bases, you know, you're not going to get a ton out of most catchers, but one from Adley, six to Contreras. Six is, you know, not nothing from your catcher position. And then it's 80 RBI and 84 runs from Adley and 78 RBI and 86 runs from Contreras with only 40 at-bats, 48 at-bats difference. 588 at-bats throughout the season for Adley. 540 last season for William Contreras. So if you can get almost identical, really, stats across the board with a number of the categories that will be scored for fantasy leaning towards Contreras, why are you taking Adley in the third round when you can get the same value in the eighth round on William Contreras? Yeah, I I completely agree. You know, one thing I was looking at this kind of tier of of these catchers is William Contreras really stands out to me as as a great you know even though I'm, I'm not a proponent of taking catchers early I think if you're gonna take one William Contreras is a great one uh just the combination of, of value and upside I mean you you compared him to Adley and just you know how close they are uh I actually think he's the catcher I would rather have than Will Smith um you know Will Smith has been a great catcher for for several seasons now he's in a great lineup uh, spot with the Dodgers, but you know, he's 28 years old. Um, and what he's expected, you know, I'm looking at projections right now and the projection between Will Smith and William Contreras is almost, you know, dead the same. And I would say that William Contreras actually, you know, I would, uh, he didn't hit for a ton of power this last year compared to prior seasons. I think that's going to jump up. He's made great strides in his, uh, you know, K rate and chase rate uh, last year. And I think that, you know, combined with, you know, if he could just lift the ball a little bit more, which he's shown the ability to do in the past, I think he's, he could definitely skyrocket and, you know, be the number one catcher in fantasy potentially. So um, I, I think William's a, a great bet, um, you know, in the pick one hundreds, I think his, his min was 
100 exactly and his max was 118 so not a very high variance there uh so once you get around pick 100 if if you want a, a good young catcher with some upside you know he's only 26 only a year older than adley uh definitely williams the one to target there yeah so i think the the other thing that really stands out about will smith compared to um adley or Contreras is the fact that the Dodgers have not been nearly as compelled to get his bat in the lineup on the days that they're giving him rest from catching. He had 464 at bats last season. That's, you know, about 80 less than Contreras had and 120 less than Adley. So where the Orioles and Brewers are getting Adley and getting Contreras into the lineup as a DH on the days that they're not catching, Will Smith usually just sits. So maybe on a per at bat basis, you're getting more out of Smith. But from a total volume standpoint, those extra 100 at bats matter, especially at a position where we talk about how much we tend to devalue it because they don't play every day. So if you can get these guys that are putting up these great ratios, hitting 260, 270, 280 with 800 plus OPSs, why wouldn't you want that in your lineup for those extra hundred at bats? Yeah, and I I don't think things are going to get any easier with Otani clogging up the the DH spot there, and you know Freeman and some of those other guys aging. I think we're we're going to see uh, Will Smith's playing time, if anything, go go further down than up as he ages. The other thing that stood out to me about this grouping is well, actually two things. One, those top three guys of Rutschman, Smith, and Contreras having very little variance in their their high and low picks Adley you called out had a difference of 13 between the min and max 21 for Will Smith and 18 for William Contreras and then you look at Alvarez and Yaner Diaz and Henry Davis and JT Real Muto that round out this you know top seven ADP wise the top seven that go in the you know top 200 for ADP all of them have at least 60 picks of difference with Yainer, Henry Davis, and JT Rio Muto having over 100 picks of difference between their min and max. So I think this is where pretty clearly we start getting, you know, the sense that people aren't as confident in players beyond those top three. There's a lot of, you know, kind of waffling back and forth to the point where I think only Francisco Alvarez in one league was picked higher than any of the top three in any other league. Sorry, Yainer Diaz as well. But that's two guys picked, you know, relatively close to the others. Outside of that, they're all 30, 40, 50 plus picks later with massive variance. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good call out. And I think, you know, it just goes to show like, the depth of the position, right? I mean, we're, we're still even talking about essentially tier two here and there's a ton of different ways that you can go. These guys are all kind of in a, uh, you know, the same pool there. Um, there's not a lot of differentiation between them. So, you know, if you do, if you don't pick one of those top three, there's plenty of good options and you can kind of just, you know, wait until the end of whoever you're comfortable with and pick that option and get a uh, really good value. So, um, kind of looking at those names that you just mentioned. So Alvarez, Diaz, uh, Henry Davis, and JTL Real, Real Muto. Um, I just want to talk about Henry Davis for a second. Uh, I think he's shown some some pretty interesting skills 
particularly from the uh, catcher position. You know, he hits the ball hard. There's some power upside there. He's actually a lot faster than um, that people think. So there's, you know, potential for kind of high single digits, even maybe even double digit steals there as well. But the issue is we just don't know if he's going to get catcher eligibility. Now he does, he doesn't have it in a lot of leagues currently because he hasn't yet really caught at the big league level. Um, Andy Rodriguez, the pirates, other catching prospect got hurt. Uh, this off season is going to miss a good chunk of the seasons. And even before that, there was talk that Henry Davis was going to get more playing time um, at the catcher position. But the latest rumors are that pirates are interested in Gary Sanchez, who I would imagine would end up being their primary catcher. So you got to wonder how much Henry Davis catches uh, both this season and going forward. And if he's really going to have catcher eligibility long-term, I I'm, kind of skeptical i mean i took henry davis in uh one of our drafts i believe it was the points league um because at the time you know i thought he was going to be the everyday catcher this year but long term i i think he's gonna be an outfielder uh what are your thoughts on henry davis i think a big part of the reason why he is going as early as he is is because of that outfield eligibility the the ability to play in the outfield and the fact that you know hypothetically that means he is going to be getting more at bats than a lot of the other catchers going in this range but like you said if he's not going to catch enough to gain or retain that eligibility then I think we see his value slide quite a bit and he probably drops at least into the the next tier below this the guy's going in the 200s because if he's not catcher eligible he's not nearly as exciting as just an outfield only. I do still think there's plenty of upside in there, but a lot of the value he's getting right now is as a guy who could play near every day with catcher eligibility. Yeah, I agree. Um, any other call-outs you want to make on either either one of those tiers there? Uh, uh, nothing that really stands out other than the fact that, you know, JT Real Muto is still regarded this highly but is going into his age 32 season and as a catcher he's really testing your your faith in how long he's going to be able to you know continue the production he's been putting up and we already saw some decline last year so I think it's going to be interesting to see how his value is affected in 2024. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's still doing it, but how much longer <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you're kind of exactly. playing with fire there uh, for a catcher. All right. Let's uh, let's go down to our next tier. So this is going to be um, Gabriel Moreno at uh, 220 ADP, Ethan Salas, our first prospect at 224, Logan O'Hop at 232, Bo Naylor at 233, Samuel Basalo, our next prospect at 239, and then Sean Murphy at 254 ADP. So looking at this group of catchers, uh, eight to 13 in ADP, let's touch a little bit on the prospects first. So Ethan Salas, Samuel Basalo, uh, I think you can potentially make the case that either one is the uh, top catcher prospect in baseball, but who do you like there between those two? That's a really tough one. As far as a guy that's going to be catcher eligible going forward, Eileen Salas, but I almost want to go with Basalo because I don't think he's going to be a catcher long-term. 
they've got Adley. There's no reason for him to play, you know, more than maybe 20 games at the position to back up Adley. So he might be one of those guys similar to a Henry Davis that we were just talking about who maybe plays just enough catcher to retain that eligibility, but is in the lineup most days because his primary position is going to be something like first base. Because there's there's no reason with his talent to not get him in the lineup every day. Yeah. I, I'm almost envisioning, though, that because Basalo is not necessarily known for his defense, but I, I seem to remember that him being kind of solid. So I'm almost wondering if we're looking at like a Danny Jansen, you know, Alejandro Kirk situation um, once Basalo makes the big leagues. I mean, obviously, trades can happen. A lot can happen. You know, uh, Basal is only 19 and it's still, um, you know, most of his playing time last year came in the lower minors. So, you know, if, there's no guarantee they will be on the same roster together. But if they are, you could see kind of a DH catcher split between the two of them, which could be good for their value. But then again, you know, we've kind of seen that not really work out so well for for the catchers in Toronto. Um, granted they're not at, at this particular level. So I, I don't know. I, I just don't know what that's going to look like. Um, but I think in terms of pure hitting ability, yeah, Basalo has got it. And I think ironically, I'd probably be, you know, more in on him if he was, if they said, oh, he's a first baseman, you know, then, then kind mm-hmm. of this, you know, will they, won't they, uh, be a catcher. Um, for me, it's, it's Ethan Salas. And I, that's no surprise to anyone that knows me. I've been a huge <laughs> Ethan Salas fan from the moment he got signed. I was telling everyone last year, go out and get Ethan Salas in your FYPDs because his value is just going to skyrocket. And sure enough, it has. Um, I just really think this is a generational type player. Um, it's kind of unfortunate that he is a catcher because I feel like any other position, you know, this would be an easy, you know, top five prospect in all of baseball. Um, but being at the catcher position, you know, obviously it's the hardest, uh, offensive position to, to learn and, and be good at. And he is a really good catcher by all reports. You know, he's way above his years and, and let's talk about his years. He, uh, was signed at 16 years old last year. He debuted just turned 17 when he debuted, uh, at full season, a ball. Skip complex, skip DSL, even though he was an international signee, went straight to A ball and absolutely raked. Uh, in 220 plate appearances, he had nine home runs, 122 WRC plus. Again, just turned 17. Um, manageable strikeout rate, ISO over 200, walk rate over 10%. Uh, he just looked like the real deal. And you know, towards the end of the year, they they did some crazy stuff where. You know, they moved him uh, to high A for nine games and then moved him to double A for nine games. He kind of struggled at both those spots, but again, never struck out, um, you know, a ton. Even even at double A, he only had a 24% strikeout rate. And then, you know, even at double A, he had a, a 12% walk rate. So great plate discipline. Obviously, you know, towards the end of the year, struggled a little bit at double A. But again, a 17-year-old at double A is absolutely insane. So you can't really knock him for, for that. Um, you know, I don't know what the Padres plan to do with him, but I, I think there's an outside chance we could see him in the majors, you know, towards the end of this year, um, if he develops as expected. And this is a guy who, before he'd even played a game in professional ball, 
you know, there were articles about how he looked like a Hall of Famer, potentially. Like, he just had those skills and uh, just incredible plate approach, incredible defensive skills, great power, great hit tool. Um, you know, this is a generational catcher, and I'm all on board any kind of outlier like this. So I, I know in a one-catcher league, you don't really have to go for Salas, but what do you, what are your thoughts on him? Before I answer that, I'm I'm curious, do you think Salas going inside the top 10 of all catchers for ADP is the right spot for him? Um that's a good question. I I think, you know, one of those picks was mine. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. I got him at uh I think it was the 234 pick. So it was right uh, wasn't, wasn't the min pick, but it was kind of the, uh, right in the mix there, you know, his, his ADP is 224. So I got him 10 picks after the ADP and that felt right for me. Um, you know, Ethan Salas, I think is going to be a guy who up until the day he debuts, he's breaking history in everything that he's doing age to level wise. And I think, you know, we, we, this is why I invested in him last year, right? Is because I knew if he did good, because we've never seen a 17 year old do this. Like he's just automatically going to be like skyrocket up boards and end up being a top 10 real life prospect. And that that's exactly, you know, what has happened here. So I think that if he comes out and he performs in the high levels of the minors at age 18, like his value is not going to go down. <laughs> like there's going to be incredible hype on him and, and kind of similar to Rushman, right? Like you got to remember when, when Rushman was a prospect, he, he maintained that value. Um, because people were really excited about him and knew that he could be, you know, the top catcher in all of baseball. And it looks like he was headed there. And then he became that. I think Salas, the the ceiling is even higher. And, you know, there's going to be so much PR about everything that he's doing, you know, when he he's that young in the upper minors and potentially that young making his big league debut as 18 or 19 year old catcher. You know, I, I just... I'm all on board the value there. And I don't think, you know, even if he struggles, he's going to get a pass because he was obviously crazy aggressively pushed. And if he doesn't struggle, that value is just going to, you know, hold or increase. So I'm fine with that uh, from a value standpoint. It's really hard for me to think of like what his upside is because we just, we don't know. We have never seen a player do this before, um, particularly a catcher, you know, could he end up being with a really advanced plate approach, good power and hit tool? Could he end up being like, you know, I, I, I don't love this comp. I threw it out there as kind of a joke, but like, you know, I don't think he can end up being Juan Soto at catcher, but like, could he be kind of that profile where he's just a super disciplined hitter, super high OBPs, good power, um, you know, from the catcher position. I, I think that's definitely possible for what we've seen so far and how young he is. Yeah. So as much as I like Ethan Solace, I just have a really hard time taking him over the two 23-year-olds right behind him that we've already seen have some success at the big league level. And I'm talking about Logan O'Hoppy and Bo Naylor, both of whom showed enough, in my opinion, to believe, one, that they belong in the top 10, and two, have a lot more upside left in the tank. Bo Naylor, in particular hits the ball so hard and runs much better than a lot of other catchers do. I mentioned earlier the six steals for William Contreras in uh, 540 at-bats. Bo Naylor had five in 198. He also had 11 home runs in that time. 
and the exact same OPS at 809 as Adley Rutschman. Bo Naylor is a guy that if I'm singling out one name in this tier, it's Bo Naylor. That's the guy I want. I'm going after him. And I just, I, again, have a really, really hard time putting solace above those two young catchers that we've already seen perform at the big league level because for as much talent as he has, he's still a prospect. We still haven't seen him in the bigs and anything could happen. You know, you, you hate to put it on him, but there's, there's a potential for him to get to the bigs and just be a complete bust. I think it's a very, very low chance, but there's still a chance. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And I, I think we need to touch on these ADPs because um, like, you know, to your point, I took Bo Naylor way before Salas went in our categories league and I didn't take Salas. So, you know, it, it's really kind of boils down to where catchers are going is something that we saw in our startup drafts is there's usually a run, right? Like we have a definite tier here in this tier three. And I feel like for a lot of people, myself included, this is the last place where you really kind of want to dig in and grab your your primary catcher. Now you can wait. You you did. Um, yep. But there's a lot of good catchers in this range where in, anybody you pick in this range, I think you're going to feel pretty good about. Um, and for Poe Naylor in particular, I mean, uh, there's a 200 pick differential in his ADP, which is just wild. Um, you know, a lot of these other players like, Ethan Salas has a 72. Logan O'Hop has a 94. Basalo has a 53. Bo Naylor's a 200. So the, the min pick on him was 145. The max pick was 345, uh, which is just incredible value. I picked him at 171. So I'm definitely on the higher end there. I definitely agree with you. Bo Naylor's a really exciting player. And clearly based on where he's being drafted, I don't think he's being valued appropriately. I mean, I, I think I'm almost there and kind of pushing him up into the back end of that um, of that tier one, because honestly, I think I'd rather have him than Henry Davis. Hundred percent. That's exactly what I was just gonna say. I'm taking him over Henry Davis every time. Yeah. So I, and and- I sorry in our our points league, I had that opportunity. You mentioned you took Bo Naylor at 171. We mentioned in our recap episodes that we both had sort of a a predetermined plan to a certain extent to push catchers down a little bit. I got Bo Naylor at 273 in our points league where Henry Davis was still available. And I chose Bo Naylor one. I think that was phenomenal value to the point that I just couldn't keep putting him off anymore, but I think he belongs in that, you know, sort of second mini tier going between 100 and 200. And we had two drafts in this, you know, conversation that he did. He went 145 and he went 171, but you mentioned he slid all the way to 345 in one of these drafts and I just don't see how anyone can let that happen. Yeah, I agree. I 100% there and I remember in that points league draft the only reason I ended up with Henry Davis is because you took Bo Naylor. <laughs> so I would have definitely would have rather had Bo Naylor there. Um just one a couple more call outs from this group. Cause I think this is a really interesting group. Like I said, this is kind of like where I really want to get my catcher one um, in, you know, these startup drafts and potentially in redraft as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of picking from, from this tier. Um, Gabriel Moreno, he's at the top of this tier with a ADP of, of 220. I just not a big Moreno fan. I think he's fine. Um, but I could even see bumping him down into 
the lower tier. I just don't think he's ever going to hit for much power. Like, yeah, the OBP will be good. The average will be good. But, you know, I don't think he'll ever hit 20 home runs. I think you're looking at, you know, 10 to 15 home runs. And that just doesn't really do it for me. Uh, better real life player than um, than fantasy for me. And then um, Sean Murphy, who's going at the end of this at, at ADP 254, I think you can get a pretty good value on him. Um, you know, I know he had some struggles, particularly in the second half last year, but uh, he's in a really good lineup. Yeah, he's getting older, but I'd still be perfectly happy with uh, Sean Murphy as my um, as my catcher one. So what are your thoughts on on those two or anyone else in this tier, really? Um, I think you called out the the right two names here. Everyone else we've discussed to a certain extent already, but Gabby Moreno. While I mostly agree with you, I do think there's 20 home run upside in the bat, but it's going to take a little bit of a swing change. He's shown plenty of raw power in his career. I remember it was a couple years ago when he was still in the Jays uh, with the Jays AAA affiliate. He hit an absolute rocket to left field that got stuck in the outfield wall, not like between pieces of padding or anything. It punctured the padding on the wall and stuck in the wall. He has the raw power. It's more of a launch angle issue with him. So if he can make an adjustment and lift the ball a little bit more, I do think there's untapped potential there. But as of right now, I think you're correct in stating that he's more of a ratio play than accounting stats play. And then with Sean Murphy, I think the biggest thing is just where does the playing time fall? Because he's a guy that for the last, you know, little while since he came to Atlanta, we've been talking about how talented he is, but how we just wish he could get more playing time. And for whatever reason, they seem to always want to get Travis Darno in there for more and more at bats. Yeah, Travis Darno still hanging around. (laughs) Much too fantasy uh fancy players uh dislike there but yeah no I, I totally get that with sean murphy and we did see like you said his his playing time take a huge hit when he went to atlanta but i i think there's a bounce back there um and i think you know we saw i mean he was just on fire the first half and then really slowed down the second half so um i think he's gonna be you know maybe a little bit somewhere in between but um yeah i, I still like him even though he's he's getting up there in age all right let's move on to our Next year, which is uh, catchers 14 through 21. So we've got uh, MJ Melendez at 314 ADP, Cal Raleigh, big dumper at 327, Alejandro Kirk at 335, Wilson Contreras at 343, another prospect, Harry Ford at 352, Kyle Teal, uh, FYPD prospect at 368, Luis Capisano, who I know is uh, you're a big fan of at 370, and then rounding us out, Kybert Ruiz at 381. So any call-outs in this tier? Um, you mentioned I love Luis Campiasano. You said in the, the previous tier with Moreno and Ohapi and Naylor that that's kind of the last bucket of guys you want to shop in for your starting catcher. I think there's still one or two names in this tier between 300 and 400 that I'm comfortable with, and Campiasano is the headliner there. I think with increased playing time this season, he has a really good chance to jump up one, if not maybe even two tiers. Obviously the, you know, big concern there you alluded to it earlier is if Campiasano isn't playing up to expected standards, how soon is going, how soon is Ethan Solis going to be ready? 
outside of that, the the other thing that stands out to me is this is the tier where we started seeing catchers not being drafted in every league. So Alejandro Kirk, you mentioned an ADP of 335, but he was only drafted in two leagues out of the four that we're pulling this data from. So he was drafted at 258 in one and 412 in another with a difference of 154 spots. And then down at the bottom with uh, Kiebert Ruiz, he was drafted in three of the four, but anywhere from 278 to 507. So I think speaking to what you were talking about in the last year, we're really getting to a point where people have a lot of question marks next to these catchers now. Yeah, this is kind of like, you know, who who do you like that's left? Um, exactly. I, I, I do agree with you, you know, like you mentioned, um, there are a few guys in this tier that, um, you know, you're comfortable with having as your catcher one. And, and I agree to that extent as well. You know, um, Luis Camposano, I I think for this year, I'm all about him. I just worry, like, about the future because Padres have not really shown up to this point a a desire to really go with him. Um, I think the que- the defense is a little bit questionable. So I, I don't know how long of a leash he'll he'll have, um, you know, similar to what you discussed. So for Camposano, I think the offensive upside is there. I like him a lot, but if I'm taking him, I'm probably trying to take somebody with a little bit more floor. And actually that pairing of Camposano and Kybert Ruiz is almost yeah. perfect because, yeah. you know, I think both those guys, you're okay with having them as your catcher one, but you know, there might be, you know, maybe uh Kybert Ruiz doesn't really have the upside and maybe Camposano doesn't necessarily have the floor, but if you pair them together, you know if Camposano flames out or if the Padres replace him, you've got a nice floor there in, in Ruiz um, with the upside that Camposano brings. So I think of of this entire tier, those are probably the guys I like the most uh, is those two at the back end. Um, I think Wilson Contreras, because of the issues defensively last year and kind of the weird way that Cardinals were talking about him, uh, plus a down year signing that that contract there. I think you know people are down on him, but there's still a, a, a really solid catcher here. Um, he's 31, so again, getting up there in age. But I would, I would say, you know, I, I'm anticipating a bounce back, and I think where he's going at 343, I, I'm really happy to take him as like my last resort as a catcher one, or even like a high end catcher two. Again, maybe pair with somebody like Capusano, who's a little bit more risky. Uh, just, I think he'll be solid. I don't think he's going to be, you know, a top five catcher again, but I think, you know, he could easily be a, a top 10 catcher um, and, and be really solid one. So uh, I do like Wilson Contreras in this range. Um, it, it blows my mind that uh, Kiebert was not drafted in uh, one of those startups because I just well, feel like he's he should be. <laughs> yeah, not drafted in one and not drafted until pick 507 in another. Just like you said, it it seems like people are really, really low on a guy that has a really solid floor, despite being on a really bad team. Yeah. A um, couple other calls from this group. Um, MJ Melendez, we don't, similar to the Henry Davis situation, we just don't know if he's going to retain catcher eligibility or how much he's going to play there. He looks to be primarily outfielder at this point. Um, and doesn't necessarily have the upside of a Davis either. So I, I don't really love taking him. Um, and then uh, I got to ask you about Kirk because, you know, he's a Blue Jay. What are your expectations for him kind of this season and, and going forward? Do you think there's a bounce back there? Because this is a guy who, 
you know, la- I think it was last year, two years ago, people were like, this is the, you know, going to be a top five catcher. And he just really hasn't shown it. Um, so w- what are your thoughts on Kirk? Yeah, you know, it's really funny that he was only drafted in two of the four leagues because I still think roughly catcher 16 is the right spot for him. So it's funny that he just went completely undrafted in two of these leagues. Um, But I do think there's a bounce back. I don't think he will ever return the, you know, top five catcher value that, as you mentioned, he had at this time last year. But I do think there's a world where with his bat to ball skills, he can creep up towards and maybe into the top 10. But I wouldn't be shocked if this time next year we're talking about him, you know, sort of around that 11, 12 range rather than 16 and going undrafted in some places. Yeah, I mean, I think if you believe in a bounce back, the value is definitely there because outside of one pick at 258, uh, he went 412 and then undrafted in two leagues. So mm-hmm. you can get him for cheap, for sure. Um, any other call-outs from that tier before we move on? Um, I think the the other one for me is just the fact that, again, we had a couple of prospects go in this range, one of them being Harry Ford, who who really knows you know, how long he's going to retain catcher eligibility if he's going to play the position all at, the, at all at the big league level. Not so much because he can't play the position, but because he's just so athletic that it would almost be a shame to see him come up as a catcher and not move, you know, off the position to the outfield where he can use, you know, those those talents a little bit more. And then Kyle Teal, I just we've talked about him a little bit. I've got a really hard time with him, given the fact that, you know, he looks almost like a Luis Arise behind the dish. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I think he can get to average power, um, but I, I don't see much beyond that. And I think, you know, because he's, you know, on uh, on Boston was a high draft pick, you know, expecting to make his debut soon and really tore up the minor leagues last year. I think, you know, people might be thinking there's a little bit more upside there, but I just I don't see it. Uh, like you mentioned, I think he's he's not a prospect I'm trying to acquire it all except if I'm in a, a two catcher league. No, uh, and I'll say I'll I'll take him I'd rather have at least the next three catching prospects down our ADP, if not more than that, over Kyle Teal. I, I agree with that. Um yeah, I think if if he hadn't been uh as high of a draft pick and you know FYPD, I, I think he he could be ranked lower. Uh, but let's get on to that next tier because we we have a lot of those prospects that that we're talking about here. So that next tier uh, starts at catcher 22 and starts with Tyler Soderstrom at uh, ADP 407. Then we have Jefferson Cuero at 409. Enrico's boy, Eduardo Quintero at 410, which uh, Enrico drafted in two of these leagues. And I'm pretty sure he drafted in the other two, even though he wasn't part of those drafts because Enrico <laughs> drafts Quintero everywhere. But what's funny is that, you know, Enrico, again, drafted him, I think, in, in two of those leagues and the differentiation on picks is is 90, which is the smallest for this clump of players. So uh, people are kind of valuing Quintero um, around the same range. And it's worth mentioning, he's not expected to be a catcher long-term. He's, he's more of an outfielder. So mm-hmm. um, keep that in mind. He's He still shows his catcher uh, eligible on fan tracks, but you know he's really, I think, a center fielder, actually. Well, if I remember correctly, he hasn't played a single inning game, whatever, defensively 
as a catcher. It's all been in the outfield. So I have no idea why Fantrax still has him listed as a catcher. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just something to keep in mind. We're talking about him because he's on uh, this episode because uh, the catcher eligibility, but he's really good. Enrico's covered him before on yes. several of our podcasts. Um, and yeah, we like him a lot. Yeah. If you uh, want to hear more, go talk to Enrico. He's, <laughs> he's the Quintero guy. Exactly. Um, uh, if he he gets off to a great start in stateside, I mean, this is a guy who could skyrocket up rankings. He's definitely, you know, was listed as one of uh, Enrico's breakout prospects. So um, definitely keep an eye on him. Just don't expect him to be a catcher. Um, then we have uh, another prospect in Dalton Rushing at 431 ADP. Uh, Austin Wells at 444 ADP. Jonah Heim at 453. And Mitch Garver at 458. So, you know, we mentioned the, the prospects... Um, you know, before I'm going to take Quintero out of this. Cause again, he's not going to be a catcher and I'm going to take Wells out of this as well, because he's at the big league level. And I think um, he's kind of more in that Soderstrom bucket. So yeah. between, between Caro and rushing, who, who do you like more there? I think I'm taking Quero, but it's, it's tough because they're, they're both in very similar places developmentally. And they're both relatively stuck in their respective orgs with Quero in Milwaukee and rushing in uh, the Dodgers system. There are talented big league catchers ahead of them. That being said with Quero, I believe there's an easier path to playing time specifically behind the dish in Milwaukee than there is for rushing in LA because while Contreras we've talked about as a, you know, top three, maybe even pushing up into the top two catchers for Dynasty. He's not spectacular defensively. And if I remember correctly, Jefferson Cuero is quite a strong defensive catcher. He may not have the upside offensively, but I think they would rather, when he's ready, have Cuero catch more of the games than Contreras. And it's just, as is every position with the Dodgers, a very crowded depth chart behind the dish for rushing yeah yeah and it's not even just the depth chart at the major league level i mean it's the depth chart at every level of the minors yes. rushing i you know should be higher level than what he played at but he didn't get a promotion even at age 22 because he's stuck right there there's yep. you know cartaya you know above him in, in the the order and everything too so like there's definitely a log jam there of catchers in the Dodger system and it's leading to rushing being slow played. I do like rushing's offensive upside more than Caro's, but I think you made a really good point about Caro's defense. And I think, you know, regardless of what, what Caro does, like it could help William Contreras's value because he could end up being, you know, having more time split between catcher and DH to where, you know, he, he gets less wear and tear. Because I don't mm-hmm. think they're they're taking Williams bat out of the lineup. Like no, they, absolutely they, not. They definitely believe in it. They went out and targeted him in a trade. They did as much as they could to fix his defense, and he has made great strides in his defense. He was not known as being even a passable defender in the Braves organization, and it, it is now at least that in the Brewers organization. But yeah, Carroll's got the the defensive upside there, and I think the two of them will make for a pretty good tandem that should allow uh, William Contreras to ta- take more at bats at, at, at DH. So. Um, so yeah, I think that'll be a good thing for, for both of them. And I agree. I, I might take Caro above, uh, rushing, but yeah, they're pretty close for me. I just worry about, you know, how long it's going to take for us to see rushing yeah. you know, at the big league level at this point. Um, 
one other call out I want to make in this tier is two guys who made their MLB debuts last year were pretty highly touted catcher prospects. But again, they're in that weird catcher kind of area where they're not great catchers. Um, they both struggled in their debuts. You know, what are your thoughts on like Soderstrom and Austin Wells? I have never been a big fan of either of these guys, and it's largely for the same uh, same reason on both of them. One, like you mentioned, they're not particularly good catchers. So, you know, I think part of the reason they're valued as highly as they are is because they're catchers long term. I'm not sure they are, though. And two, they're kind of the same type of hitters in that they've got, you know, the big power, but lots of swing and miss concerns and the hit tools, a question mark. And when you come to the bigs and strike out as much as those guys did, and even in the minors strike out as much as they did, I'm just not sure I see much long-term value in either one of these guys. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Not, neither one's a player I'm particularly excited about. I mean, I will say Austin Walls had a much better debut than um, than Soderstrom. You know, I think he had a 97 WRC plus versus Soderstrom's 35, but yeah, not uh, hard to beat a 35 WRC. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I th- I think everything you said is correct. You know, both of them have kind of long-term concerns both defensively and offensively. You know, they have a lot of power, but you know, are they going to be able to hit enough um or, you know, to to make it if they have to be a DH only or or a first base DH or something like that. So, neither one I'm super excited about. I'd probably take Wells over Soderstrom. Um you know, just because I feel like there's there's a little bit more safety there, but they're they're both pretty similar players. Uh and they do one of which I'm I'm super enthused by. Um, any other call-outs you want to make on this tier? Um, the main thing is just why Heim and Garver are even in this tier. They, in my opinion, belong in the tier above. Um just because we know who they are, we know what we're getting out of them and it's a lot more than you're getting out of two guys that had really rough debuts and a trio of prospects that we might not see for another year or two i'm not sure why hyman garber are down here they they to me belong in that tier above right alongside kiebert ruiz yeah yeah i could see that i i'm a little bit lower on Haim. i just he had one good half season in my mind. I, I don't, I'm not sure he really retains, um, you know, what we saw at his height last year and was really kind of a mediocre fancy player uh, before that. And, you know, Mitch Garver, I really like the fancy upside, but dude has to stay healthy. Uh, you know, he's going to be primarily a DH. I doubt mm-hmm. he'll, he'll be behind the dish much. Um, so he could be one and done on catcher eligibility, but for a one-year catcher or even like a redraft catcher, uh, I love Mitch Garver just because I think the value to upside is is there. You know, for for having him be my, you know, second catcher in a uh, a redraft league, I'd be super happy about that. Or even like if I just needed a stopgap, like third catcher in a uh, two-catcher dynasty league, you know, I'd be happy. But I wouldn't want to count on him as being my my primary catcher. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree though. I think both of them are kind of a. A step above um i would put him behind any of those guys in, in the upper tier but um you know both if, if i need a second catcher probably I, I would look to either one of those guys 
Um, going on to our last year. Uh, so these, oh, one, one last call out on that last year. All of those players got drafted in all four leagues. So yeah. even though we didn't see Kirk get drafted or Ruiz get drafted in all four, we did see all of those names get drafted. Um, and then coming down to our last year, I'm not going to name all the names um, just because there's a ton of them. Some of them are kind of really random Yes. ones that were only picked in one league that had like 800 rounds. So not going to go through those. Um, but, you know, I think there are some recognizable names on here, both, you know, primarily prospects, but let's, let's touch on the three non prospects that, that did get selected in these rounds. And um, those were uh, Salvador Perez at uh, 529 who got selected in all four leagues. Ryan Jeffers at 557, who got selected in only one league, and Danny Jansen at 679, who also only got selected in one league. So for any of these names, do you feel like they kind of belong in, you know, one to t- two tiers up? You know, are are they ones that you would be comfortable having with as maybe a second catcher on your team? What, what are your thoughts on Perez, Jeffers, and Jansen? I think all three of them should be at least one tier higher. I would take all three of them above anybody in that other tier. Soderstrom, Carroll, Rushing, Wells. Because even though they, you know, have their concerns, whether it be age with Salvi, you know, playing time slash injuries with guys like Jeffers and Jansen, they all put up really strong per at-bat numbers. It's just a matter of, how many at bats are they going to get throughout the season? So I I have a hard time putting them in this bottom tier because everybody else in this range is a prospect where especially in the case of Salvador Perez, like what's he doing going beyond pick 500? Yeah, I I really don't get it because he can still hit for power. Um there's there's age concerns, he's 33, but you know, for me, I, I would be perfectly happy to have him as a second catcher. And even in an absolute emergency, you know, if I could kind of pair him uh, with another catcher that I felt somewhat decent about, um, you know, I'd be fine with him as, as like a first catcher, but uh, would prefer not to do that. But yeah, I, I think he's going way, way, way too low. I, I would bump him. You know, I, I have him around Jonah Heim, um, even with yeah. the age difference. I just I have a little bit more belief that uh in Perez's power versus Himes and and similar no, right there similar to Garver I mean I don't know how you can take just by taking Garver like 70 spots below or above Perez I, I would much have rather have Perez than Garver yeah I, I see no reason why you know Heim who came in at 27 Garver is the 28th catcher and Perez is the 32nd I see no reason they shouldn't be number 22 23 and 24 on this list yeah um, is there any kind of MLB? So we'll get to the prospects in a moment. Are there any MLB level catchers who didn't get drafted that you were surprised by? Yeah. So the biggest surprise for me here was Tyler Stevenson. This is a guy who's still just 27 years old. And although he's had his own injury concerns has looked really good when he's been healthy at the, the big league level. And I think him going completely undrafted in all four of these leagues was a a huge oversight by everyone. And I believe in the two leagues that we drafted in where he didn't get drafted, 
he was scooped up in the first set of waivers, including one league, the league where I took Campiasano. I took Stevenson uh, in the first batch of waivers after the draft because he felt like a really nice pairing for Campiasano where I know I've got some production coming from somewhere at the catcher position between those two. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's kind of like what we talked about with uh, Kiebert Ruiz and um, and Campusano is you have the you have a bit of the floor and the upside with Campusano, right? And I I think that's what Stevenson is like. He's never gonna be, he's never gonna hit for a ton of power. You know, there are some injury concerns, but like when he's on the field, he's solid. And especially in that lineup in that ballpark, you know, he's gonna get a lot of runs and RBIs um, for a catcher assuming he can stay on the field. And I think that's been one of his biggest issues is just kind of having different injuries that he's had uh, over the years and just have, having kind of more of a, a limited upside um, similar to uh, to Kybert Ruiz. So, you know, we'll see. He had a pretty full season last year. Uh, it was underwhelming, but I feel like he was, if I remember correctly, he was kind of dinged up uh, yes. across a lot of those games and really saw kind of the... Um, you know, his hitting ability fall off. He was always like a high average guy, um, you know, had a, you know, seasons of 294, 286, 319, and then all of a sudden fell to 243 last year. So I feel like he's going to bounce back um, with some health, hopefully, and, you know, kind of be a high average, you know, uh, 10 to 15 home run catcher, which is not that dissimilar from, uh, Kybert Ruiz going, uh, well, it's hard, hard to compare ADP when he wasn't drafted, but <laughs> Kybert Ruiz going as, as the 21st catcher. Uh, there's not, you know, if, if Stevenson's healthy and Ruiz doesn't take a step forward there, there's not a huge difference between them in my opinion. No, I, I completely agree. I think the big reasons you mentioned, you know, as far as why he didn't get drafted are the, the drop-off in the numbers this past year and the injury history, but like you said, he was playing dinged up for a lot of this past season, and I think that really affected him. So I am expecting a bounce back from Tyler Stevenson this year. Yeah, I, I agree as well. Um, and taking him <laughs> off waivers is, is great value there. Um, one one last kind of interesting player to cover here before we kind of get into our, our favorite prospects from this range is Andy Rodriguez. So he's still prospect eligible. Um, he's was drafted in three of the leagues at an average of uh draft position of 579 so 39th catcher overall he he showed some really good stuff in 2022 there was uh more power there than you know he had previously shown um the hit tools always kind of been been plus but then you know kind of had an underwhelming year last year and you know made his debut he he looked to be the the primary catcher instead of henry davis and then over the off season, um, he ended up getting hurt, and as expected, I believe to miss most of the season, if not, it's uh, it's going to be close. I believe okay. the expected recovery time was eleven to twelve months. Yeah, um, and then he it was so surgery to repair his UCL and flexor tending and, and his right elbow. Um, so the thing with him is that he's always had a lot of. Um, of athleticism for a catcher and, and often in, in, you know, 2022 and before he would kind of play infield and catcher, uh, both just again, showing his athleticism, he's got pretty good speed, but has never really stolen a lot of bases and the power is kind of questionable. So, you know, what, what are your thoughts on Andy? Is, is he worth drafting and hanging on to? Um, is he one where it's just kind of better to wait and see 
what he looks like when, when he gets back. I mean, his MLB debut last year, he had 204 plate appearances, um, only three home runs, 220 average, 65 WRC plus. So it was not great. And he wasn't uh, super great last year in AAA either with just a 95 WRC plus. So uh, had, had really strong minor league numbers before that. But um, yeah, I did did not perform well last year. Yeah, so I, I do think he is worth drafting and holding on to one because he likely is out most, if not all of this year. You can stash him on your IL without losing a roster spot. You don't have to use much draft capital on him. You know, he went, his ADP was 579 and he went anywhere from 493 to 724 in one of these leagues. So you don't have to use much of a pick to get Andy Rodriguez. And I think long term, he could be up there similar to like what a, a Kiebert Ruiz does. You know, we keep mentioning him. It's not a very exciting profile, but I, I do think, you know, you mentioned the the sudden onset of, of power a couple of years ago. I don't think people really expected that to stick. And we saw that fall back last year, but I do think he's going to be a player with good ratios who may not ever set the world on fire from accounting stat standpoint, but will give you a solid floor long-term. And let's not forget that Henry Davis, who went as catcher six in this with an ADP of 184, the whole reason, or I should say a big part of the reason he's, he wasn't, he's not catcher eligible this year is because of Andy Rodriguez and because Pittsburgh liked his defense so much more than Henry Davis's. Now, to some extent, that's as much a knock on Henry Davis's catcher defense as it is a plus in Andy Rodriguez's favor, but he does play a very strong defensive catcher. And I have a hard time believing that when he's back and when he's healthy, he won't be their everyday catcher. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, they've definitely shown that they they like his defense. And like you said, I think the reasonable expectations, if he's healthy, he's going to be more of that high average, um, you know, kind of low end power bat, kind of like a, a Kiebert Ruiz or a Tyler Stevenson. But that still has a lot of value in fantasy leagues. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with all that. All right. So in addition to those players we mentioned, there's also um, a lot of prospects that were taken kind of in this range. Um, is there anyone that stands out to you, Kyle, as kind of being your your favorite of the prospects uh, that we did see drafted? Um, so my favorite, I don't think, will be a surprise to anybody in this range. That's Ralphie Velasquez. We've talked about him uh, plenty on past episodes, so I won't go super in, de- in depth with him. I'll give a couple of other names, actually, that intrigue me in this range. Um, one at the towards the top of this... Uh, tier in Ben Rice who was catcher 31 with an ADP of 526 um he's a guy that really kind of popped up out of nowhere last year showed a really nice blend of skills ability to put the bat on the ball strong approach got to a lot more power than I think most people were expecting I'm not 100% sure how well that's going to carry over to this new season I'm not 100% sure how well it would transition to the big leagues. And the other big question mark with Ben Rice is his defense. So whether or not he sticks as a catcher is in question. 
But, you know, as we talked about earlier with Austin Wells with the Yankees, catcher uh, defense is something that the Yankees haven't always put a large priority on. You look at how long they had Gary Sanchez as their catcher there. So if they feel like they're getting enough offense or enough value elsewhere, they won't necessarily be that concerned about a a catcher's defense. So Ben Rice is a name to pay attention to this year, who could even be up at some point this year. And then the other one down towards the bottom of this tier at catcher 49 with an ADP of 655 is Alfredo Duno. This is a young kid in Cincinnati's system who just hits the crap out of the ball. He's got a strong approach, good bat-to-ball skills, but he's just got tremendous, tremendous power and a ton of upside for that reason. Now, as an 18-year-old, he is a relatively big body already, and again, his defense is a little bit in question, whether or not he sticks a catcher or has to move off. You're not really sure, but there's a ton of upside in Alfredo Duno's profile. And if he can stick a catcher, it's going to be a lot of power coming out of the position. If he can't and has to move over to first base, I love that profile in Cincinnati. Yeah, I, I like those picks a lot. Um, I'm the, I've never really been the biggest Ben Rice guy. I think we, we talked about him some on an episode last year. I think you know, both of us were kind of a little bit behind the hype on him um, in terms of, you know, how, how excited we were, but uh, you know, I think he can silence a lot of those concerns coming out. I mean, for me, it's, it's been a question of the defense. And then I think he had some, some major platoon splits as well. Um, but I really like the, the Duno pick. Uh, I think he's a exciting young player and um, you know, there's definitely risk with these <laughs> teenage catchers in the lower minors. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm going to talk about one too that I just, I was doing a deep dive looking for players uh, to pick up for our uh, two catcher league that we're in. And this guy really popped out to me as somebody who could really skyrocket up these catcher ranks uh, with a strong year stateside. And that's Ramon Ramirez. So he was a catcher who played in the DSL last year. And those are notoriously, notoriously like not what you want to invest in, right? Like, Catchers are already risky. Teenagers are already risky. And then having never played stateside, that's even riskier. But what he did in the DSL last year was was pretty incredible. So he actually led, if he qualified, um, he would have led the DSL in an OPS. He had a 168 WRC plus, um, eight home runs, six stolen bases, 14% walk rate, 12% strikeout rate, slash line of 344, 440, 615. Uh, just everything you want to see from a hitter. Um, he what he is listed at 18 years old, which if I see that in the DSL, I kind of was like, ah, well, he's old for the level. Not really. He turned 18 June 15th. So he turned 18 like during the season, um, you know, only seven months ago. Like he's he's maybe a tad older, but not I wouldn't say he's like a full year older or anything like that. So I kind of just would lump him in with those 17 year olds. And not only did he put up, um, you know, incredible statistics, the the metrics back it up. So he had really strong exit velocities. Um, you know, he apparently has like current MLB average uh, 90th percentile exit velocities, which is just kind of crazy for an 18 year old. Um, he 
you know, has a plus arm, good defense. He has, uh, I've seen above average or plus hit tool and power both. And he looks like he's going to, you know, be a pretty good defensive catcher as well. So this looks like potentially like, you know, Casey's next franchise catcher and you can get him really, really cheap. Uh, he's somebody who's probably going to take a while to get to the majors. He's not like an Ethan Salas. That's, you know, being fast tracked there. So, you know, don't invest in him uh, too heavily if you're looking for proximity, but I think he's somebody who if a, if he has a good stateside debut, he's just going to rocket up rankings because it's funny right now. He doesn't rank in the Royals top 30 at MLB pipeline. But if you look at uh, Baseball America and Prospects Live's recent reports on him, um, you know, and th- this is paywalled, but they you know, do have him ranked uh, Prospect Live's kind of set their scouting says that he's potentially already a borderline top 100 real life prospect. Um, you know, baseball America really loves the upside as well and has him listed as one of their breakout prospects for 2024. And another, uh, you know, paywall, more fantasy focused analyst, Chris Clegg has him as his Royals number one fantasy prospect. So there's definitely some hype building on him. It, it hasn't reached the mainstream yet, but I think with a strong debut stateside, uh, we're going to be hearing a lot more about Ramon Ramirez. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, what uh, what you mentioned that really stands out with him is just the ability to hit, but also the fact that you probably don't need to invest in him right now outside of really deep or two-catcher leagues. There are going to be a few like yourself who are, sharp that are targeting him that are looking at him but I think right now you can have him as a watch list guy but be prepared to jump on him if the stats continue to jump off the page early on in the season because he will be one like you mentioned there are some outlets already that are bumping him way up so you need to be ready to jump on him and if you don't know for sure that you have the ability to know when to do that. Just grab him now because he's the type of hitter that worst case scenario, he doesn't pop off to start the season and you can drop and pick up whoever on this list. That is maybe it's an Alfredo Duno. Maybe it's someone else like one of these last six or seven guys that were only drafted beyond pick 701 league, like a Hunter Fiducia, like, you know, there's there's going to be someone if Ramon Ramirez doesn't pop off, but he's a really nice kind of back end keep an eye on him type guy. Yeah, and I completely agree with what you said about, you know, doesn't need to be rostered unless it's deeper to catcher. Like the only place I have had I, I you know have a share now is a two catcher league, and that's all I really want him. Um and I think that blends in with a, a greater question of kind of strategy in in dynasty leagues re- revolving around catchers so you know typically uh, and you're we usually play you know 12 14 team dynasties um where we have maybe somewhere between you know 20 and 30 um uh minor league spots you know in a league of that size one catcher league you know how many how many catchers do you typically carry in your minor league system typically I'm not looking for much more than one in my minor league system. It's, it depends a little bit really on how deep, like when we're talking about the, the, the lighter end prospect wise, 20 prospects owned per team. 
I'm definitely only looking for one max. Um, once we get deeper 30, 35 prospects, maybe there's a second one on my roster. But for the most part, it's become a very deep position, especially prospect wise. So I don't necessarily feel the need to, you know, go out and try to get a whole bunch of them to create almost a monopoly on the position because it's not a position that you need a lot of depth in at the big league level. As far as your, you know, active catchers go, you probably only have one, maybe two. So to have many more than one or two of them in your prospects is just, it it seems like wasted space in my opinion. What do you think about that? Am I off base with that? Or are you, you're in line there? 100%. I I don't want more than you know, two at max in those leagues. Like yeah. I just, and I think I've seen it with certain teams and I've, I've been on a team before where I end up with too many good catchers and you cannot get rid of them. Like it's yeah. just and in one exactly catcher leagues, one. you don't want to be the guy that's rostering four catchers, but like they're really hard to trade because nobody wants to pay up for a catcher. Um, and cause there's, there's decent replacement level on the wire in a one catcher league. I mean, we've talked about Tyler Stevenson, right? Like why would you go out? and spend capital to get, you know, a, a back end catcher one, when you could just pick one up off the wire for free. So, you know, I I've been in situations where I've had to cut really good catchers. And actually in one league, um, I cut Gabriel Moreno early last year because I just, I couldn't justify him as my third catcher, you know, like I just, in a one catcher league, I, I can't, I can't use up the roster space on that. And, you know, maybe that comes back to bite me. I mean, he's, he's our eighth ranked catcher. So it probably already has, but um, you know, it just, I couldn't trade him and didn't want to hang on to him. So I don't want to be stuck in that situation Two catcher league, completely different animal, but what were you going to say? Uh, to your point, I, you know, a league that we are in together, I took over a team a few years ago when, Salvador Perez was the only catcher on the big league roster and Kiebert Ruiz was just coming up and the the roster still had Henry Davis and Bo Naylor in the prospects as well and now I'm looking I've still got all four of them on my roster because I to your point I can't sell any of them people would again much rather go and find your Tyler Stevenson on the waiver wire than pay for a catcher so at some point when I'm, you know, in a roster crunch, when the season's drawing nearer and nearer, it's going to be really hard to decide what I have to do with four big league catchers now on one roster. You just don't need to put yourself in this kind of a, a situation by owning too many catcher prospects. Yeah. And in addition to that, you know, they they take longer usually to develop. Yep. There's more questions about how much playing time they'll have. There's usually like a slow play, like we've seen with Campusano, for example, of how many years he's had big league playing time before actually getting a shot because of the defensive issues and the game calling issues and everything like that. So that's why I think I'm more excited than than most on Ethan Salas, just because he isn't going to have some of those issues potentially. He's going to be fast played. The defense is already there, so you don't you don't have some of those worries. And and I really think he's going to be high end, kind of like Adley from day one. So that's why I, I'm more willing to pay up a little bit more for him. But if I can't get him as a catching prospect, like I don't really like, I'm just going to get, you know, one name kind of lower down the list and hope they develop into something 
or even not have a catcher prospect. I'm perfectly fine with not having a catcher prospect yeah, at all absolutely. in a one catcher league. Now, two catcher leagues, like I was starting to say, like they're a completely different animal. I think in, in our two catcher league we're in, it's a 15 team league. I think I have five catching prospects um, just because they those catchers really are valuable in that two catcher league and people will uh, potentially want to uh you know, trade for them. Although, you know, you, you had a situation where you took over a team in that league that had Jonah Heim and you were trying to sell him. Did you find that the value was higher than you would normally see? Or, or do you feel like people still weren't willing to pay for a catcher? Um, it, it was still difficult to sell a catcher, but I did end up, uh, making a trade for, to get rid of him. That, being said it was if i remember correctly part of a uh a package yeah so i i think the big thing even in a two catcher league is their standalone value isn't necessarily great but the overall value in this deal i think greatly changes because of the the two catcher situation here so i traded away mike trout and jonah heim now as you mentioned this is a you know, orphan team that I just took over needs a lot of TLC. So I'm, I've been selling off a lot of the older pieces here, but sent away Mike Trout and Jonah Heim and got back Matt McLean and Kyle Harrison in return. And in a one catcher league, I don't think I'm sniffing anywhere near that return. Yeah, I, I agree. I really like that trade for you. I mean, obviously I'm a huge fan of, of both the players you got back, but, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, Keep in mind, two catcher league. I, I feel like having played one for for several years, a two catcher dynasty league. You know, the, the catchers are really valuable, particularly in the leagues we play in, which are all daily moves leagues, because you know inevitably those catchers are going to have days off, and you you want to make sure that you're not losing value from those positions. And this is a roto league as well, so you know you can get hurt in ratios by having bad players in there. So, but even in a league set up like that catchers are kind of hard to trade or, or value correctly. So just keep that in mind. Um, I really, you know, I haven't had the need to trade for a catcher in too many leagues. Usually I'm, I'm at the opposite where I'm trying to get rid of catchers, but where I have, I'm usually looking to have a catcher just kind of thrown in. Uh, I, I think I got Gabriel Moreno in that one league I mentioned is kind of a throw in in a trade um for some pitchers and and that's what i'm usually trying to target is just wherever the value is is kind of lower end range of of the catchers and then i feel like i can you know find a pop-up guy or there's enough depth there i can fill out my roster that way but have have you had any leagues uh recently where you have targeted catcher and kind of what what level do you typically target um i wouldn't say it's you know typically been a, a major target for me um most of the leagues where I have a really strong catcher, a top end guy like an Adley or a Will Smith or someone like that, were teams that I got them as, you know, prospects and they rose the ranks to be who they are now. Typically, when I am, you know, targeting a catcher, I'm targeting the Logan O'Hoppy, Bo Naylor, Gabriel Moreno type of range where it's the the back end of your top 10 to 12 who are still, you know, have shown ability at the big league level, but still have potentially some upside beyond what they've shown. I don't, we, you know, discussed it a whole bunch. I don't see the value in going and getting Adley in the 30th when you can get almost the same stats and Contreras 
or sorry, Adley, yeah, 30th pick versus Contreras at 108. And then Bo Naylor, who could realistically jump either one of them, is pick 233 right now. Like, I, I don't see the value in getting an Adley or a Will Smith when I could just grab another pitcher or shortstop at that point and grab my catcher eight rounds later. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think if I was trading for a catcher today, that's kind of the range I'd be looking at, right? I I would definitely target at Naylor or Ohapi or even, you know, Campusano or Ruiz lower down. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that they're, like you said, they, they're young. They have a little bit of more upside than we've seen and their, their value is, is there for those picks. So, uh, you know, definitely agree with that. Um, you know, I'm not gonna get too far into the the dynasty startup strategy. Cause we talked about that a lot on our prior episodes. I'll just summarize by saying both of us, uh, are very comfortable waiting for kind of the, uh, the bottom range of these starting catchers, uh, for particular, uh, guys to take our first catcher, you know, you took Luis Camposano in one, uh, you know, I took Bo Naylor. You think you took Bo Naylor in one. So yep. kind of, kind of in that range, the, the 10 to 20 range where you've got like Ohapi and Naylor, uh, some of the older guys like, like Murphy and Contreras for me, and then um, Campusano and Ruiz, I, I think are kind of where we're comfortable taking and, and where we're kind of targeting taking our first catcher in, in uh, dynasty startups. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. And if you really want to go heavy to the the win now strategy, you can wait until, you know, pick 400 and take Salvador Perez more than 100 picks above what the ADP in these four leagues was. And I still think at 400, you're getting good value on him. Yeah, exactly. Um, How does that strategy change in a redraft league? Um, do you, it, are, are you kind of the same mindset? I don't, I haven't had any redraft drafts this year, so it's, it's hard for me to, to put um, you know, too much perspective on it, but I think my, my plan in a redraft league is kind of going to be the same. How about you? Yeah, I, I haven't done any redraft leagues just yet either, but I'm, I'm probably looking in that same bucket while maybe be, being willing to push things just a little bit higher up. You know, I think I'd rather be in the like seven to 15 range than the 10 to 20 in a redraft, just because there's a little bit more uncertainty for 2024 in the names like Ohapi and Naylor and Campusano, where, you know, if I go and I get a real Muto who's going as the seventh catcher off the board, even though there's been some decline, you know what you're getting out of him at your catcher position. Yeah, that's a good point. I could definitely see shopping in that um that second tier, the Contreras through rail Muto. Um, yeah. you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of good names there, except for Henry Davis. That would be yep. one where I I'm missing him. But I think based on our conversation, especially, I think I'm definitely if I see William Contreras there as a good value, I think I, I will take William Contreras because the upside is definitely there. Yeah, I completely agree. Awesome. Well, that is our catcher ADP recap. Um, we're going to do, you know, more positions throughout the off season. So um, definitely tune in for that and be sure to follow us on social media. The links will be in our show notes. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time.